The psalmist says, Be joyful in the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with a song. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I'm curious this morning, how many of you appreciate poetry? Like reading poems or moved by them? Yeah, poems have inspired and comforted and moved people all throughout history. Lots of people love Emily Dickinson and her famous poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Isn't that beautiful? I have no idea what that means. None whatsoever. I was a math major in college, and poetry doesn't speak to me in the least. I'm an absolute Luddite when it comes to poems, and I know nothing. In fact, my favorite poets are Shel Silverstein and Dr. Seuss. But the Psalms do speak to me, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because they're in the Bible, or that if the symbolism there makes more sense to my uh, peon brain here or if they just seem to resonate more with my experiences, but whatever the reason, I love the Psalms. And Psalm 100 is most certainly no exception. It's a beauty and a winner. In part, it's because Psalm 100 is a Psalm of joy. And don't we all need more joy in the world today? This psalm reflects on who God is and what he has done for us and for all of his people. And then it draws us into the glorious, comforting presence of God where we're called to worship, to give thanks, and to rejoice. Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with beautiful, magnificent, moving. And I don't think this psalm is intended just to move us occasionally, whenever we feel like it. You know, not just on Sunday mornings when we gather together, and not just when we think, you know what, hey, thanks God for some good weather this weekend. Or thanks for helping me pass that test. You know, a prayer I've played a thousand times. St. Paul later in the Bible in Philippians tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Even in tough circumstances, even when it feels like life is falling apart, we're to rejoice and give thanks. Not because of the tough circumstances, of course, but because even in the midst of those hard times, God is still God, and God is still good. One of my favorite things Father Ed used to say is that as he looks out at the world, he realizes he doesn't understand everything. And he, so he looks to God and says, God, you're good. You're loving. Your love is bigger than my love. Your wisdom is bigger than my wisdom. And so I trust you. But when I get to heaven, I've got questions. And I think we can all resonate with that, right? There's so much out there, and yet we're called to trust God. And here in Psalm 100, along with the rest of Scripture, we're called into living a way of life, a new way of life that's marked with joy 
and thanksgiving in both good times and in bad. Why? Well, because of what this psalm tells us. The Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His faithfulness endures from age to age. Now, I don't often do word studies up here or give you language lessons, but I want to teach you some Hebrew this morning. The word here in this psalm for mercy is chesed. My favorite word, I think, in the entire Bible, chesed. It's fun to say, and it's even more fun when you learn what it means. This word is often translated throughout the Bible as steadfast love. As in, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. This is a deep, deep love that God has that never quits that's based on his promises and that goes far and above what's required or even expected. It'll get better, I promise. Maybe he can't pronounce chesed, I don't, I don't know. Um, no, so this is a, a deep love that's kind of like a spouse that stays and forgives an unfaithful partner because that spouse loves his or her partner and wants to be with them and is willing to forgive. Or it's like a parent who shows mercy to a wayward child, even though that child deserves to be grounded for the rest of his life. Or Mary Esther, my now second youngest daughter, she likes it when I tell her bedtime stories, and she asks me to come up with all these stories. Now, it takes me a little while to think of stories to tell her, so I've promised I'll do it once per week. Every Thursday, I'll tell her a new story about Princess Sally. Now imagine if this upcoming Thursday, instead of just having one bedtime story to tell her, I've written a whole book about Princess Sally, complete with illustrations. That would be chesed. That's far and above what I promised what I would do. It's far more than she would have expected, and it would have been done because I love my daughter and want, him to, want her to enjoy this. That's the kind of love God shows us. This is why we're called to rejoice, to give thanks, and to praise here. Because God's love for his people has gone far above what any of us could have ever asked for, thought about, expected, and certainly not required. And we see this all throughout history. Going back all the way to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? Did he need us? No, he's God. But he made us in his own image and created the world in such a way that we would enjoy the beauty around us. There's beautiful flowers, bright blue skies, clear, cool water, majestic mountains, fascinating animals, and delicious food. You want to know something I'm most thankful for in creation? Taste buds. Steak, pasta, crabs, they don't have to taste good, but thanks be to God, they do and I'm happy about it. But then if we continue from there, we see God's steadfast love towards Israel all throughout the Old Testament. And the people of Israel, if you didn't know this, they were a bunch of ungrateful whiners. Even though God had heard their cries for freedom when they were enslaved in Egypt, even though he delivered them out of Pharaoh's hand, even though he miraculously led them across the sea on dry land and fed them with bread from heaven, they whined, they complained, and they disobeyed 
and boy, doesn't that sound like your interim record. Like, this is me. I relate to these people way more than I'm comfortable with. They didn't deserve anything, but God's love for them didn't quit. He led them into the promised land. He delivered them from their attacking enemies. He dwelt with them in their temple and promised to send them a Messiah. And even though they messed up what that Messiah should look like, they just wanted deliverance from the awful Romans. God sent them something even better. Jesus. He sends the real Messiah that Christmas morning. And this Jesus, the Son of God himself, grows up to live a perfect life. He keeps the law flawlessly. He showed other people love and compassion. And that's exactly what we saw in our Gospel reading. Jesus looks around at this crowd of people and he realizes that they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so he stops what he's doing and ministers to them. He gives up his time and his energy to care for them, to help them, and to heal them. And then he sends out his 12 disciples to continue that work to bless more and more people. And yet, of course, we all know that his greatest act of love, his greatest act of compassion, is mirrored right here. And I love this crucifix there with Jesus on it, with his arms spread out wide as if he's ready to give us a hug. Because it was in willingly laying down his life as a sacrifice for our sin that we could be cleansed in the blood of the Lamb and forever forgiven of every last wrongdoing we ever have or ever will commit. And so now we have the gift of life. And so even in the midst of those deep, dark days where everything seems like it's falling apart, we can hold on to the fact that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And for that, we say thanks be to God, don't we? But if you think all of that is too abstract, that's too old-fashioned, that's for people a thousand years ago, let me encourage you to go out and pick up a copy of our annual report and see how God is at work in this parish today. God has grown our attendance, strengthened our ministries, added new members, and improved our outreach even during a period of transition. And that's not because I'm a great interim rector. It's not because I'm wise or have it all together. Kimberly and her mother are over there, and they will both tell you I do not have it all together. This is happening because the Holy Spirit is at work here at All Saints Church. It's because God has raised up an amazing staff, Father Matthew, Father Zachar, the rest of the staff. He's given us a godly, spirit-filled, and wise vestry, and lots of people here in the pews or online who've been faithful generous and who cared for one another. This church is successful because God is at work in you and you have been faithful. You were needed here. You were wanted here. You belong here. You were loved here. And I give thanks to God for that. God has shown steadfast love and faithfulness to All Saints Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we'll go even further than that. I'm guessing that if you look closely, you can see God's mercy and faithfulness in your own life, in your own families. Even if your life has been hard, really, really hard, 
I guarantee you that God's mercy and love have never left you. Hasn't God ever answered your prayers? Hasn't he provided for all of your needs? Hasn't he placed people in your life who love you? Hasn't he forgiven you? Hasn't he helped you grow? And hasn't he used you to bless and encourage someone else? If you answer no to all of those, know that your presence has blessed me today. So you can answer yes at least to that last one. And I'm sure you can answer yes to the other ones. And so once again we say, thanks be to God. So this beautiful psalm, Psalm 100, gives us all these different reasons as to why we should live lives of joy and thanksgiving. And you might be like, yes, I want to go do that. But how? Let me end with three quick things here, and I promise we'll be quick. First, the obvious one. Do it. <laughs> Intentionally set aside time to give thanks to God. If I'm honest with you, most of my prayers are requests. Dear God, please do this for me. Dear God, please do that for the people I love. Sound familiar? Okay, it's just, just me. I'll try something else next time. But Gary Weeder, our family pastor, he told me that when his family gathers together to pray, he intentionally makes sure that the time stays on Thanksgiving. And that's something I think I need to try and adopt that as a habit. And I think we all should, right? Whether you use a devotional that takes you through different ways to pray, including Thanksgiving, whether you open up a Bible and read prayers of Thanksgiving and passages of Thanksgiving, whether you keep a gratitude journal, or you just set aside five minutes on a Wednesday afternoon to say, for these five minutes, I'm giving thanks to God. It doesn't matter how you do this, but that you do. It is so important just to give thanks to God for all that he's done. And more than likely, when you start, it'll be longer than you anticipate, because God's done quite a bit. Second, let's continue doing what we're doing right now. Gathering together to worship our God. Yes, we've got to give thanks at home and by ourselves, but we can't neglect gathering together. And doesn't it make it a lot more fun and enjoyable when you're surrounded by other believers? It does for me. Right? Watching a ball game or listening to a alone is fine, but isn't it a lot better to go in person and be surrounded by everybody else? Right after Kimberly and I got married, we moved to Scotland, and it was right before the World Cup, and there was a qualifying match that the Scottish national team was in, and we wanted to go see it. So we went down to the student center there at the University of Edinburgh, and we had to sit on a pool table because there were too many people in the student center. And we're watching this thing, and I don't know anybody in there, but man, when they scored, they were my best friend. Right? I'm hugging people, I'm cheering people, there was stuff going all over the place, everybody was happy. I've never seen any of those folks ever again, and I love them with all my heart. We could have watched this game at home, but it wouldn't have been anywhere near as good than being surrounded by all those Scottish people. It was just fabulous worshiping together, what you're doing right now is a beautiful way to rejoice and give thanks, especially when life is hard. Because at least for me, worshiping with other people reminds me that there is indeed joy in the Lord. There is reason to give thanks. And I think this is the primary application of Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise. 
give thanks at home, worship together, and then finally, serve the Lord with gladness. My kids love to show me and my wife how much they love us and appreciate us. So they make this little card out of construction paper or something out of Play-Doh or draw us pictures. And I say, that's great. We love all of these things. But if you really want to show mommy you love her, do what she's asked you to do. Go clean your room. Put away the toys. Whatever. Take out the trash. And the same is true with God. If we really want to show God how much we love and appreciate him, we should keep his commands by showing kindness to the people around us, forgiving the people who hurt us, giving generously, loving unconditionally, and basically doing unto others as God has done unto us. Being like a mirror and reflecting the love of God back onto the people around us. That's a beautiful way to express genuine gratitude and to be filled with joy for all that God has done. Psalm 100 is a magnificent poem in just a few short verses. And it resonates with me even more than Dr. Seuss does. This poem reminds me that the Lord has been so good to us in creation, in history, in our salvation, in our church, and in our personal lives. So now let us go and respond with true joy and genuine thanksgiving. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness to you, and to me, and to all of us will endure from age to age. Amen.